Hey folks, thanks for tuning in. Today is episode 53, titled The Parable of the Sower. Today is a very important parable to understand. I'm sure some of you have heard of parables before, but just to clarify, they're simple stories used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. It seems when you read these parables that there were heavenly principles Jesus was trying to teach through earthly comparisons. And Jesus actually explains the purpose of parables in Matthew chapter 13, verse 10 and 11. He tells us that parables are given to teach us the mysteries of heaven. Parables are very important because they point us to one of the ways that we're supposed to interpret Scripture. There are four ways total to interpret Scripture according to hermeneutics. They teach New Testament interpretation. Hebrew is a little bit different. That's a little more complicated. We can talk about that another time. But Greek hermeneutics is an excellent way to interpret scripture and understand it. It's taught at colleges, so scholars learn this. Let's go over what those four ways are. The first is literal, the second is moral, the third is allegorical or allegory, and the fourth is anagogical or anagogy. Let's do a quick example of all four just to put things into perspective. So an example of a literal interpretation would be Jesus walking on water. An example of a moral interpretation would be, Blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. So there's a moral lesson in there. An example of allegory would be the parable today. Excuse me, the parable that we're going to go over today, which is the parable of the sower. When we extract the meaning of that, we have allegory. The fourth and final one, which is a little bit more difficult, it's the root word is anagogy. It's a Greek word. And what that basically means is it's something in scripture that has a profound or deep impact us, impact on us, and it drives us to be more diligent and take action to be a disciple of Christ or grow as a disciple of Christ. So the, the, what the word anagogy actually means is to climb or ascend upward, upward. And in the Christian context, that means ascending upward towards Christ or growing in holiness towards God. That would be anagogy. So when we read something in Scripture and it drives action, that's an example of anagogy. To fully understand this parable, I thought it was important to go through those four interpretations and kind of decipher, at least have that in the back of your mind, while we're going over this parable. Let's go ahead and touch on the scripture. The parable of the sower is in Matthew chapter 13, verse 3 through 8. And Jesus spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So some questions that I had when I was going through that, I, I understand the premise, right? When you read through a parable, you kind of gather the lesson, okay, be fruitful for the Lord. But there's more to it than that. Like, what does the sower represent? What are the seeds exactly? What's the wayside? What's the stony places? What are the roots? What are the thorns? And what is the good ground? And we should really try to assign meaning to each one and break them down. Because each one represents something. 
So what was Christ exactly trying to tell us? And if you read further in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus actually tells us an interpretation of the parable of the sower. Matthew chapter 13, verse 19 through 23 says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what has sown in his heart. This is he who receives seeds by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a little while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So understanding is an important part of being a Christian. So when you hear the word, you have to understand it. And so that's why Peter warns us that there's there shouldn't be any private interpretation of Scripture, that we actually have to rely on the apostles and the early church fathers to really get a firm grasp on the meaning of the text. And Peter even goes on to say that there are people who read the very difficult things that Paul writes about, and they twist it to their own destruction through ignorance. So we have to be very careful that understanding Scripture is ju it's just as important as every other element of being a Christian. Believing is important because that's your rebirth. Taking action, being obedient, loving Jesus Christ back the way we're supposed to, all of that requires a firm understanding of Scripture. Now, what we should do, let's break down this parable and go through it with a fine-tooth comb. So, there are two types of sowers. You've got God, which is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the sower of seeds of truth, the gospel, and the word. They're the ones, obviously, God's the author of salvation. So, he's the one who's sowing these seeds of truth. The enemy, whose name is not worth mentioning, is the sower of weeds. So he puts the snares, the distractions, all of those things in the thorns, the thistles, all of that in the way to choke out the seeds of truth that the Lord is grooming or growing or investing in, drawing to the Father through Christ, etc., however you want to look at that. Seed, the seeds that are divine truths, they lead to life. But the weeds would be something like either deceitfulness, heresy, pathological ideas, or any thoughts that lead to death. The different types of ground represents the heart, mind, and soul of a person. So it could be how open-minded they've been to biblical principles or heavenly principles. The sun represents persecution when trying to pursue the righteousness that Christ tells us to. And if you read the gospel properly, Jesus tells us it is he who endures till the end that will be saved. It's he who endures that will be saved. So that's the future, right? Judgment day isn't here. Christ hasn't returned yet. So none of us know if we're saved yet. And that's something that is taught incorrectly in certain circles. And I'm just going to leave it at that. So we, if we do experience persecution, unfortunately, we've got to endure the challenges in order to be saved. And if you use the comparison of Judas, he actually didn't endure till the end and he was not saved. 
And the book of Acts tells us that he's in hell. So if an apostle can go to hell when he believed and trained under Jesus Christ because he turned away and gave up and never repented, whereas Peter came back and repented, all of those things matter in the face of persecution. So this is where scripture ties into other scripture. When we're talking about persecution and repentance, we've got to look at other aspects of scripture. Let's keep going. The thorns represent the snares of the world that can choke us out and bring death. So placing monetary things above Christ, um, placing alcohol, food, these other things that can easily take the place of God's where it can become a focal point of our life rather than Christ. Those are all things, they're snares, they're thorns, they're thistles that can choke us out and bring death. They're distractions. The fruit is two things. The good fruit is both Christian virtue that we develop as it as an individual disciple, but it's also the making of disciples that's fruit. That's fruit, excuse me. So Christ actually calls us to develop both Christian virtue, enduring persecution, making disciples, carrying our cross, denying ourselves. All those things are part of being a Christian. So it's not about cherry picking one verse and calling it quits. You have to take the totality of the gospels into consideration and use scripture to interpret scripture. Now, another thing that I like to do is I like to read what the early church fathers say because there was a thousand years of Christianity that was, there was no breaks in the faith. Nobody had broken away yet. So we should really pay attention to the early church commentary. So I want to go over one today that talks about the parable of the sower. The following information was taken from a commentary by Theophylact of Orid, who was an Orthodox archbishop and biblical commentator. And this is what he says about the parable of the sower. Three quarters of the seeds perished, and only a quarter were saved. For few are they who are saved. At the end, Christ speaks of the good ground, thus giving us hope for repentance. For although a man be rocky ground, by the wayside or among the thorns, it is possible for him to become good ground. Not all people accept the word and bear fruit equally. Perhaps a hundredfold is someone who attained perfect self-denial, Perhaps sixtyfold is a monk dwelling in a monastic community who yields fruitfully, and perhaps thirtyfold is someone who has chosen marriage and diligently practices virtues as much as he is able. See the goodness of God. He accepts everyone who achieves great things, moderate things, and small things. So he captured, Theophilact of Ord captured an ex excellent analogy. So the, uh, there's understanding tied to repentance and so if you remember, the end of the verses, Jesus was talking about understanding it, understanding the word. And Theophilact talks about repentance as the thing that converts, well, through the power of Christ, of course, through the help of the Holy Spirit. But it's repentance that transitions someone from rocky ground or the wayside into being good soil. And so you have to fully understand what repentance is to understand what it means to understand Scripture. Okay? So repentance is to update our mind, feel contrition about our sin, and to make an amendment to our life. So if we wish, if we are, let's say, caught in some snares, some thorns, some thistles, or our ground is rocky, excuse me, our ground is rocky, or we've sprung up and persecution has roasted us like the sun, the key there is to pray for the intercession of the Holy Spirit and to repent. You have to update your mind. Okay, so what did I do that didn't work? What are my weak points? How can I get stronger? Um, what does the Bible say? How am I sinning? How can I turn away from sin? All of these things will help deepen and enrich your Christian virtues. 
And so that's what our focus should be. Every mistake is an opportunity for a lesson. Every breath we breathe is an opportunity for repentance. So we have to seek the truth, the divine seeds, but not as a falsehood or a heresy that's been misrepresented in 2023. Let's go back to the roots. Let's get the original commentaries, the original manuscripts, and let's try to be diligent disciples of Christ. So as you can see, it takes quite a bit of time to fully unpack parables. Parables are deep truths that help us fully understand what Jesus expects of us. Now, being a Christian is not merely believing, but it's also taking action. James, the brother of Christ, and the reason I'm telling you this action part is because that's the fruit. The fruit is action. So James, the brother of Jesus, who is, he was the first bishop of the first church, he tells us, even the demons believe. That's James 2.19. So we can't use believing as a measure of a disciple. Because demons are not disciples, yet they believe. So if you really want to follow Christ, there's more than just believing. And not to mention, believing in the English means something completely different than believing in the Greek. And the Bible is originally written in Greek in the New Testament. So this is where there's a language barrier. And what can help us around the language barriers is to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. So when we understand that demons believe, we then have to ask ourselves, okay, if demons believe but act a certain way, that means disciples believe and act a different way. Okay? Now, James also tells us, do you want to be shown, O foolish person, that faith apart from works is dead? That's James 2.20. So what he's saying is, if your faith doesn't bring about action, which is fruit, or works, if you aren't doing stuff to labor for the Lord's harvest, it's dead. And James goes on further to say, you see a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And so this is how we know Martin Luther's faith alone which is one of his solas, sola fide, I believe is what it is, it, it doesn't line up with Scripture. So Scripture actually shuts down Martin Luther's doctrine because it says you see a person is justified by works and not faith alone. So what Jesus wants to see is he wants us to take action and labor for his harvest. And if you want to read the verse that shuts down Luther's doctrine, it's James 2.24. You can go read that. So let's bring today to a close with a summary of takeaways. Number one. We need to be open and receptive to what the Bible tells us. And when we do, we'll create a rich environment for receiving what God expects of us. Something that plays a role in that, though, is understanding and comprehension. You can read the Bible all day, but if you don't comprehend it or understand it, you're just deceiving yourself. Which is also what James says, by the way, don't be hearers only deceiving yourself. So when you hear the gospel, but that doesn't change your behavior, you're deceiving yourself. Okay? So number two, we need to stand firm during persecution. Remember Jesus says in the Gospels, it's he who endures till the end that will be saved. And he was saying that within the context of persecution. Summary three, we need to be watchfuls, excuse me, we need to be watchful of the snares of worldliness and secularism. So we shouldn't stand with one foot in the Gospel and one foot in the world. Okay, so like if you're, if you're letting your children listen to trash music, if you are letting them watch t trash television, if you're putting garbage in their mind, then you're not really living a Christian life. And, I, and that's a very difficult thing to understand, but if you're not protecting the fidelity of your children's souls with everything in your power, then we're not being as watchful as we should. 
And number four, this is another difficult thing, and Theophylact mentioned this, not everyone will be saved. Not everyone will be saved. And so we really, we really need to be diligent to understand and comprehend what Christ expects of us. And I'll tell you, there's an event in Scripture that's the most crystal clear answer to what's the criteria for salvation. There was a rich man who asked Jesus Christ directly, what must I do to inherit life or eternal life? And Jesus says, if you wish to, to enter life, then keep the commandments. So one of the most important things that we can do as a gesture of faith in Jesus Christ is, is to obey the Ten Commandments. So we got to understand and comprehend what Scripture expects of us. It's so important. The last thing is we need to labor for the Lord's harvest and be fruitful, both in personal virtue and making disciples. So our individual virtue as a disciple needs to be developed. That's one form of fruit. That would be like a monk, right, developing personal virtue. And then another virtue would be making disciples. Um, excuse me, another form of fruit would be making disciples. So the Lord wants us to labor, right? If he's the true vine, the grapes are the fruit. So let's develop the fruit of virtue and the fruit of making disciples. All right? That's all we have for today, folks. I hope everyone has a great day. Fight the good fight. God bless.